0: With the playoffs about to begin, we take a look back at this season's Masters of the Batted Ball.
1: Like death and taxes, Dodgers get a Dodger. I have not had uh, three go-throughs yet. It works great great in a fantasy league. I'm just glad I am not at the dentist. Fantasy Baseball in 15 on The Athletic.
0: Welcome to Fantasy Baseball in 15 for Tuesday, September 29th. I'm Al Melchior. I am here with Derek Van Riper, DVR. It's playoff time. It's time to, I don't know if you can insert that, you know, playoffs, you know. uh, Oh, you want Jim uh, Moore on there? Jim Mora, yeah, yeah. I did not have the appropriate crack in my voice to do a good Jim Mora there. But uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> looking forward to the playoffs here. So I figured we get things started with a little non-fantasy discussion with our picks, at least for the Championship Series and the World Series. So DVR, who you got? Do I got to
1: pick both teams that make it to the Championship Series or just the teams that win it?
0: I, I say let's,
1: let's really go all out here and pick both teams. Let's go completely overboard. All right, on the AL side, we'll start with the AL because I was talking about that a little earlier today. I'm going to say Cleveland is going to get through to the LCS and it's going to be, let's see, I've got to make sure I get this right with how the bracket lines up. Uh, It's going to be Cleveland. I think it's going to be Cleveland and Minnesota as the ALCS. I've got Cleveland coming out on top and it's going to be disappointing because the Rays I, I think are really well built And probably ideally built for a situation like this. But I don't know. I think that offense could go cold. I mean, They've they've got a lot of swing and miss. They strike out more than people realize. They strike out as much as the Brewers strike out. And that is a cause for concern, even though their pitching is really good. Um, So I'm Cleveland over Minnesota in the ALCS. In the NLCS, let's keep it in the central. I think the Reds are going on a run. I'm increasingly convinced they're maybe the most dangerous team outside of the Dodgers on the NL side. And let's have the Dodgers play the Reds in the NLCS. That's possible, right? that that Mm check out? Yeah. It is, it is. Well, I'll
0: give a spoiler here. That was going to be my NLCS pick.
1: All right. So I'm going to go Dodgers, Reds in the LCS. Just to be different, I'm going to say it's an all-Ohio World Series. I'm going to say that Cincinnati actually gets past the Dodgers against all odds, whether it's Bauer every fourth day or whatever they do, they're going to find a (laughs) way they've they've got the weapons to do it. I mean, I I think it's going to be Cleveland Cincinnati going for the world series. I'm going to say Cleveland in six over the reds. All right. All
0: right. So yeah, no, I uh, thought maybe I'd be going on a limb with my Dodgers reds and LCS, but we're, we're unanimous there. Uh, I'll take the Dodgers over the reds. Uh, and I'll 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 say also in six, um, you know I, I could see an upset in just about any one of these series, even like the I could even see the Brewers possibly being the Dodgers. I don't think it's unthinkable, but um, uh, the one I think that the the Padres will definitely win out their series against the Cardinals, but just about all these other ones I could see upsets. Uh, I th- and also I going to the American League. I think whoever wins this A's White Sox Wild Card series goes to the World Series. Really? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I just, I think they're the most balanced teams in the bracket on that side. Um, and I, I like the uh, the rotations better than the Rays. So I think it'll be the Rays against the winner of that series. I'll say it's Oakland. Uh, so I'll take Oakland over Tampa Bay going seven. So I've got an A's Dodgers World Series.
1: A's, Dodgers, all West Coast, all California. I like that. Uh, I mean, I look at that A's-White Sox matchup, and I don't want one of those teams to be eliminated by the end of this week. But that's just the nature of 16 teams making the playoffs and the way the matchups uh, played out because I think both of those teams are absolutely good enough to get it done, to go on that sort of run and and win the whole thing. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Feeling a little bit of chalk, I guess, with... um, with Dodgers in particular on the NL side. And I don't think there really is clear cut chalk on the AL side just because of the way the Rays operate, right? They're not the Yankees. Like they, they don't have the big budget. They don't crush home runs the way the Yankees typically do. when everybody's healthy. It's just one of those years where it seems like it's a great fit for them. And it's such a small window of games. It can go wrong so easily.
0: It can, it can. And you know, I mean, they're, I think they're due. I think the Dodgers are due. And I know that's not really how it works. (laughs) They're not going to win because they're due. But I think that, you know, both uh, teams could could go all the way. Uh, I I will take the Dodgers over the A's. I'll say in six. Dodgers over the A's in six. All right. Marking it down. We'll see who uh, comes closer. Excellent, excellent. Well, uh, that was fun. Now we get to watch a whole bunch of games. Uh, this is going to be good stuff, but uh, we got some fancy stuff to talk about as well. And I figured since, uh, you know, Monday was an off day, be an opportunity to kind of sit down uh, with the leaderboard and kind of see where I could pick up some trends that maybe I missed in the, you know, the rush of the season. And there were some names on there that that did surprise me a bit. So I'm going to start with... Um, uh, the the statcast leaderboard, two leaderboards in particular the hard hit rate and the sweet spot rate and really neither one makes complete sense unless it's re- referenced with the other one. So I think it makes sense to do them together. So if we look at the um the leaders for hard hit rate, i mean it's it's pretty much mostly the hitters that you would expect there, but a couple of names really popped out for me Travis Darno second in hard hit rate at 57.8%. I mean, that's just a monstrous rate. And Evan White had been hanging out around the top of that leaderboard pretty much all season long, even though the results didn't necessarily reflect that. But he finished 13th among qualified hitters with a 52.5% rate. So what does this have you thinking about uh, those two hitters going into next season?
1: I think with Darno, he kind of stands out to me as maybe a non-top-10 catcher who I actually like because of the lineup that he's in and because of that hard hit rate, it sort of backs up the late career breakout that he had a year a season ago. So I think that bodes well for him as well. I think white is the trickier player to figure out because he struck out 41.6% of the time. And if you run a 10 year leaderboard over at Fangrass, you look at rookies who had at least a hundred plate appearances. That's fifth in the last decade. And that's not really a good place to be. Joey Gallo, Drew Robinson, Jacoby Jones, and Joe Adele are the only four rookies with higher strikeout rates than what Evan White just posted. Some other names on that list. Brett Jackson, Brett Phillips, Javier Baez. Uh, kind of a surprise on there just because he's been able to cut that down so much. But people do remember he was whiffing uncontrollably in 2014 when he first came up. And then Tyler O'Neill, the only other rookie over 40%, with at least 100 plate appearances in his rookie season in the last 10 years. So not a leaderboard full of good company. Maybe that gives me some pause about Joe Adele as well. But I also think this year was so weird because even though Evan White signed that contract with the Mariners, he probably would have spent some time at AAA before coming up and taking over that job. And you have to consider that making the leap from A to the big leagues is difficult. And that doesn't necessarily give us the immediate baseline of a player's skill set. So it's one of many young player performances from 2020 that may have to be treated a little differently than we would have treated this in the past.
0: Well, you know, I like the bias comp, uh, cause it really shows you different paths that Evan White can go. I mean, yeah, I remember that, uh, rookie season from bias and just the plate discipline and the contact skills were just horrendous. Um, and obviously he he honed that very well in the following season so there's still time perhaps for Evan White to go go that path but definitely a, a, a caution flag for him as well with those comps all right DVR let's uh take a gander at the sweet spot rate um now i i didn't i pared down the uh the rankings for this one a bit because if somebody's in the sweet spot, but they're not making a lot of hard contact, that's, you know, not, I think not particularly meaningful. And by the same token, if somebody's making a lot of hard contact, but they're doing it on grounders, um, that's not, you know, really that impressive either. So I, I think it makes sense to look at these indicators in tandem. So I just looked at the leaderboard, uh, for qualified hitters who had a hard hit rate this season of at least 40%. And, um, Number one it was Freddie Freeman and he was within this subgroup I mean he was miles ahead of everybody he had a sweet spot rate of forty nine point two percent but number two uh more than six points behind but forty three percent even was Dominic Smith uh so I mean I know we had we knew he had a good season i I didn't realize he was making contact of of such great quality so consistently. Travis Darno shows up again at number 4 in these rankings, followed by Jason Hayward at number 5, and the most shocking name to me in the top 10, Leoti Tavares, 41.6% sweet spot rate and that hard hit rate up over 40%. So Dominic Smith, Darno again,
1: Hayward, Tavares, um what what grabs your attention here? I think Dominic Smith really pops for me because If he has a position to call his own in the everyday lineup, he's probably going to be underdrafted, at least in the early part of draft season. If you kind of Frankenstein together the 2019 and 2020 numbers, you get about 400 plate appearances with 21 home runs, an average right around 300, a good walk rate, pretty reasonable strikeout rate. And he's one of those guys that has a decent approach. It's not all pull side. He pulled the ball a little more this year than he did last year, but I think he has a, an all-fields approach that he can fall back on. And the, the question is, if he keeps adding power, will he lose that ability and lose some of that that batting average potential? But I think Dominic Smith is for real, Al, and I think the leaderboard you found just helps to support that argument. Uh, but I think Leoti Tavares is the other really interesting name that you mentioned because his speed and his defense were the carrying tools for him to this point in the minor leagues, and he's been young for the level everywhere he's played. He just turned 22 a few weeks ago and debuted just prior to that. 8 for 8 is a base stealer, so that's going to draw a lot of attention. But four home runs, I thought those came out of relative nowhere. Maybe he's one of those players that, sort of like Evan White, because he skipped over Triple A and even spent less time at Double A than Evan White did a year ago, he's still making some changes that... Would have popped with a breakout season at AAA and because he did it in the big leagues, you know, the K rate went up and the slash lines kind of ugly, but I think the tools are something that you really do want to bet on when it comes with Tavares when it comes to Tavares. And I get the sense that he's probably going to be a fringe top 200 overall guy on a lot of boards, at least to begin draft season.
0: So uh, as you defend your Tout Wars 15-team uh, mixed uh, league title next year, where would you be uh, looking to, uh, to target him?
1: Uh, in an auction setting like that, I mean, it, probably high single digits, maybe low double digits, depending on how the room is playing. I think he's one of those guys that will get nominated after a lot of money is spent, and that might make him more affordable than he should be, given the dynamics of how we tend to play that very stars and scrubs uh, as a room now. But the thing that people are going to chase for sure is the speed, and you might get power on top of that. He might be more similar to to Byron Buxton's power-speed combo than most people want to give him credit for. And I think a couple things that work in his favor, I mentioned the defense before, but he was drawing walks this year. He walked 10.4% of the time. This is a Texas team that needs a center fielder. He fills that void and kind of needs to find a leadoff hitter, too. If you can bring the Ks down, I think he becomes an asset in OBP and that really drives him to more plate appearances, gives him chances to run atop the order, props up the run scored total. It's really easy to see a few ways for Tavares to exceed expectations next year.
0: All right. Well, and uh, intentionally or not, you provided me with a segue to talk about the bottom of this leaderboard. There were 123 players that qualified as um, not only qualified hitters, but reaching that threshold of a 40% hard hit rate. And two spots from that bottom 123rd spot was Byron Buxton. And the bottom three, I mean, all players you wouldn't have expected to see there, uh, you know, maybe two, three months ago, Byron Buxton, Javier Baez, who we also talked about, and Josh Bell. So of the players making hard contact,
1: these were the three who were least consistently hitting in the sweet spot. Yeah. Very weird. I mean, Josh Bell in particular is a guy that I never would have thought we'd seen there because I thought he hit a lot of fly balls and was, legitimately unlocking 30 home run power in the first half of 2019. Maybe this sweet spot rate helps to explain why Byron Buxton's power this year is a fluke. I mean, 13 home runs from him in 135 plate appearances. I like Byron Buxton as much as anybody and never in my wildest dreams would I have said he's going to hit a home run every 10 plate appearances this year. Why would anybody say that or think that? There's no compelling (laughs) reason to believe that. But he was hitting the ball harder in 2019. Brought the average exit velocity up yet again here in 2020. It almost looks like an approach that's gone too far. You know, like he's he's hitting the ball in the air a little too often. Needs to try and hit more line drives in the long run to be more sustainable as a hitter. But there's still a lot of good underlying things that Buxton's been doing. Even though that sweet spot is very disappointing.
0: Yeah, and maybe related to that, he swung it out of zone pitches. More than half of the time, which is unreal. Uh, I mean, a rate of 40% is pretty uh, unreal. And he was above 51%. And uh, in related news, he walked twice this season. So another trend that uh, is is definitely very extreme for Byron Buxton. So, Devier, I was hoping to get to some of the pitchers who were good. You're good at managing contact, um, but you know we're out of time. So that gives us something to uh, to look forward to a little bit later on this week. So we're just going to wrap this up for uh, this particular episode of Fantasy Baseball in fifteen. If you're listening to this podcast on a platform that allows you to leave a rating and a review, we always do appreciate it when you take the time to do that. So for Derek Van Riper, I'm Al Melkier, and we'll be right back here on Wednesday.